see the Eldridge family and the Anderson family hanging or taking care of our worship today. That's pretty fun to have them on staff. Before we continue in our message, I wanted to tell you a couple things. First of all, it is nice to have Kim's mom with us from Phoenix today. She came, and, and uh, yeah, you can give her a hand because she helped us tremendously get everything set up. Um, we were talking about it, and, and Brian goes, no, my mother-in-law would love to, to come and help serve. So thank you. That was very much appreciated. And the, her grandkids said they're having a lot of fun. So I, I don't know about the parents, but the grandkids are having a lot of fun. So that's good. <laughs> we're, talking, we're working through a series this month called Hidden Christmas. And what I want you to, to, to catch with you this morning, Timothy Keller, who's an author and a pastor from New York City, has written some great books. He shares with us in this book, we're going to kind of expound for the next four times together, four or five, um, is the fact that we've taken Christmas and made it such a celebration that the true meaning has become hidden to us. And so I'm going to show you this, uh, this first little uh, song. You, some of you have seen this before. It's an acapella group, and they're from the uh, University of Indiana. And uh, they just kind of made, made fun of it. But what it did for me is it kind of starts our message today on this idea of hidden Christmas, and you'll see why. Let's, let's watch it together. Christmas time is here in Christmas songs you love to hear thoughts of joy and hope and cheer but mostly shopping shopping shopping, shopping. Christmas Christmas time is here the sleigh bells and the red nosed deer songs and songs we love to hear all played a thousand times each year heard this same song twenty times and it's only Christmas time is here, and Christmas songs you love to hear. Thoughts of joy and hope and cheer, but mostly shopping, shopping, shopping. Christmas season starting sooner every year. It's October, stores with plastic Christmas trees. Ransack the mall, shop until you lose your mind. Spike the eggnog, sit back and watch Rudolph Frosty. Tiny Tinsel, here's the crumbs or Charlie Brown. It's done. Not going to do the kick line. All you need is some trees, some lights, about a thousand presents wrapped them up and break for snow. Run to your closet, find your Christmas sweater, screaming carols all the way. La 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 la. all the way to California. It's the Christmas you can't get Halloween to Christmas Day. It's the most wonderful time of year. We're running mad with Christmas cheer. Hey, what's troubling you, my friend? It's not fair if you're Jewish, Jewish. Not fair if you're Jewish, Jewish. Dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. I made it out of play. You realize that Christmas ain't the only holiday. Boy, hey, he's right. Who made these laws? Look, wait, here comes Santa Claus. Santa Claus, Santa Claus, Santa Claus, Santa Claus. Santa, 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 Santa,
My goal this morning is not to, uh, just so you know, is to, to bash all the things we do at Christmas. It's just to kind of talk a little bit about the true meaning and exactly what, because uh, I just thought that started well because uh, that's kind of where we live. Everything's just crazy paced, all these things going on, and, and suddenly we find ourselves farther and farther away from what really has the true meaning that's going to make a difference. Before I continue this morning, because we've already started, one of the things that I want you to kind of catch today is this idea of what the darkness has the ability to do to you and me. And I'm not, it isn't that we need to spend a lot of time uh, dwelling on the darkness, but more importantly, seeing that, that we, we are in a world that is filled with darkness. And the purpose of Christmas gives us the ability to see this true light that can remove that darkness. And so I'm going to share with you some things this morning as we, we talk together, as we spend some time in the Word and I'm asking the Holy Spirit to draw connections to our lives and to Him where the areas that we, we aren't kind of aware of what's going on as far as darkness and how it affects us. So that's my prayer for you today. And I mentioned Timothy Keller wrote this book. And he talked about uh, the fact that we have this opportunity to dust off the meaning of Christmas and show the true meaning based on God's design each year. We know commercialism definitely has taken over Christmas seems special, gifts and parties and gatherings and lights and trees and ornaments. Not saying they're all bad. They just don't always portray God's purpose. Hidden Christmas in his book talks about God's message. And I, I grabbed a couple of quotes this morning that I want to share with you. And you'll see them on the screen behind me. That is, we set up our foundation as we, we start our message. Because of the commercial indispensability of Christmas, it will remain with us as a secular festival. My fear is, however this is Keller talking, that its true roots will be more and more hidden to most of the population. The emphasis on light and darkness comes from outside of it. The giving of gifts is a natural response to Jesus' stupendous act of self-giving when he laid aside his glory and was born into the human race. The concern for the needy recalls that the Son of God was born not into an aristocratic family, but into a poor one. The Lord of the universe identified with the least and the most excluded of the human race. He goes on to say, these are powerful themes, but every one of them is a two-edged sword. Jesus comes as the light because we are too spiritually blind to find our own way. Jesus became mortal and died because we are too morally ruined to be pardoned any other way. Jesus gave himself to us, and we must give ourselves wholly to him. Christmas, like God himself, is both wondrous and more threatening than we can imagine. Our goal is to enjoy Christmas and to take a closer look at the reasons why, why we celebrate this great time of the year. One of the things that I like to start with in my Christmas season are Christmas lights. So when you decorate the tree, the first thing you got to put on is lights. Years ago, we were uh, kind of, our, our health concerns changed a little bit, so we had to go from a real tree to a fake tree. It was a big move for me because I really like real trees, and we bought this tree, and I don't know if you've got a, I guess i got to call them fake trees, but uh, anyway, the lights, they're expensive. It's not like you can just go down and, if you've priced some at the, some of the, the stores lately, three, four, five hundred bucks, there's one on TV, it's got remotes, it'll do everything. Now that's the one, I mean, if it decorated itself, I probably would get it. That might be worth it to me. But when you put the lights on, we had this one tree and we used it for probably six or seven years, 
And the sad thing is somehow it got twisted so I could never get, and I know this doesn't happen to anybody else, I could never get all the lights plugged in the right way. So the top would be on and the middle one would be out and the bottom would be on. Or the top would be out and the middle one would be on. You know, it just, it just ticked me off. So I'd work on it and I'd work on it. Finally, it came to where we never got the bottom strand to ever come on. So what we did is we just put a, some, some lights around. And after about the third season of doing that, I said, dear, I'm going to do us a favor. I'm not going to give this to Goodwill because I don't want anybody else to struggle with this. I'm going to throw it away. So I drove it and took it to the dump. And I just had a little ceremony and I didn't have to worry about it ever again. We now have another fake tree and all the lights work, which is pretty exciting. We plug it all in and, and it's much smaller, but, uh, but it works. So it, it's, it's this area of light and you go around. Okay, God knows about darkness and light. In fact, he's, uh, he's the one that saw the state of our world in its, its darkness at the very beginning, and he tried so many ways to help us have this freedom from the darkness. One of the things that, that I don't want you to hear me say this morning is that we as Christians are to set, up, set out into a world, and all we talk about is the darkness of the world. And all we tell our people is you're living in darkness. What I want you to hear me say today is that we have a God that loves us so much that he sent his son to give us this true light to deliver us from darkness that we might not even be aware that is affecting us on a regular basis. And so he's blessing us by this true light, his son, to say, hey, I'm going to take care of this darkness in your life. And, and let me define some of that darkness for you before we go on this morning. To me, darkness causes us not to realize what we're doing. Sometimes, guys, we get so caught up in, and gals get so caught up in how much we can work. And the darkness of the world tells us that our fulfillment comes from our jobs and how much we spend and how much of our life we pour into it. And what it does, it pulls us away from if we have a family or a, a wife or a husband, it pulls us away from God's true light, which is to invest in them in a very positive way. Sometimes it tells us, uh, students, that we are going to be so involved in our lives as how many things we can, we can put on our, our phones or our video games or whatever, and I'm not... I'm not on a soapbox. I'm just sharing with you. Sometimes the darkness comes when we lose sight of the fact that there's so much more in this world. My heart goes out to the younger generation because one of the things that I sense is that we are losing the ability to have great, solid relationships, speaking relationships, hanging out relationships, instead of just hanging on our phones and seeing what's on the internet and spending time doing these amazing games. I remember when I was a youth pastor, we used to have halo parties, and I'd bring in four TVs, and we bring everybody in there, and we play Halo. I suppose some of you remember when I did that. But today my heart goes out because I'm worried about we're losing that. I'm worried today about the fact that darkness tells us that, that selfishness is okay. And this isn't anything new, but it's just something that affects us, that, that darkness tells us that it's okay for us to kind of put God on this part of our in this part of our lives and do whatever we want when we're apart from him. We've got a, a working language, and we've got a language at home. We've got a, an attitude that we portray to the people that we know love God, and we do something with people that don't love God, and it's that darkness that pulls us away from this ability to experience his freedom. And my prayer this morning is that, that you and I will, will have the Holy Spirit invite us out of the darkness into the light, and he'll begin to reveal to us some of the areas that we have basically locked out of our sense of reality. And so he begins to tell us, and, and that to me is, is hidden Christmas. Because you and I convince ourselves, if it feels good, that's what I want to do. If it makes me happy, that's what I want to do. And, and before I get too far into my message this morning, I also got to tell you, it just encourages me when I see our college students come back to worship with us. Because we pray for you guys, and you are important to us. 
and you mean the world to us. And I've seen great growth in your lives, and I know that God's got great plans for you, and I'm excited about it. So, so I'm glad you're here today. But also, in your world of education is a huge challenge, which, again, takes the darkness of the hidden Christmas and kind of skews it and makes it blurry and obscures what God wants to do in your life and mine. The first part of Luke 2.11, and you heard Amanda read it, says, Today in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. Why is a Savior born to us? Why, why do we need a Savior? And, and again, as we look at it this morning, we see that the first area that, that I want to build on is our need for a Savior. Isaiah 53.6 says this, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah reminds us of how we've gone astray. And he talks about sheep. Sheep are interesting. And you've, you've heard me talk before. My dad paid his way through college showing sheep in North Dakota and South Dakota. That was how he, he just knew a lot about sheep. And when we started a church, my dad planted a church in Glasgow, Montana, which is on the northeast corner of Montana. It's cold. It's right by Canada. It's right by North Dakota. It's this little tiny town. There was an Air Force base there, and we spent 12 years there planting a church. One of the families in our church had a sheep ranch of 15,000 sheep. That is a lot of sheep. And there's a lot of stuff that we learned about those sheep. So we would hang out with them, and we would do all things. One of the things we discovered was this very important aspect of herding that flock of sheep by identifying the lead sheep. These were sheep that kind of made themselves known. They were the ones that the whole flock would follow, and it was amazing how they were picked. But if you were going to put these sheep into a corral, you had to get the lead sheep. We had to direct the lead sheep to go a certain way, and the entire rest of the flock would follow the way the lead sheep went. So if we got them in a corral, they'd all go in, we'd close the door. But until we got that lead sheep in connection with where we want to go, I've told you before that we were grade schoolers, so we were a little mischievous. So we'd get the lead sheep going, I'd stick a, a stick out there, and the lead sheep would jump it. The next one would jump it, and the third one, then I'd pull the stick away. The entire rest of the flock would jump because they followed the lead sheep. So I see, and it was so much. It never got old. i got to be honest with you. About every other day, I'd go, hey, can I do the stick thing again? My dad would go, okay, do it again. So we'd watch him jump, and we would laugh and laugh. And we'd just watch 100 sheep, 1,000 sheep all jumping over. Here's my point this morning. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And so my challenge as I prepared this message is, first of all, Am I one of those lead sheep that's taking the flock that God's entrusted me with and leading them astray? Am I not paying attention to as well? And I say that as a, as a father and as a husband and as a person who lives in this world and in this society, this community, to share the good news of not a hidden Christmas, but the light of Christmas to a world that needs to see it. So am I taking that response? Uh, am I taking that seriously, my responsibility? Or am I following somebody that is kind of has identified themselves in my life as a lead sheep. And as I walk and I'm following them just kind of blindly, suddenly I see Isaiah 53, 6 that said, for all of us like sheep have gone astray, who turned each to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I found an excerpt in a commentary that kind of built on this thought, and I liked it, out of the Bible Knowledge Commentary, and it says this, as Israel had turned aside, from following the Lord, from keeping his commandments, the essence of sin is going one's own way rather than God's way. That iniquity had to be punished, so the Lord laid the punishment for that iniquity not on the sheep, Israel, and other sinners that deserved it, but on the servant who died in their place. Not only have we gone astray, but we find ourselves walking in darkness. Again, uh, Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, Amanda did a great job. I just want to reemphasize it again. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun 
and the land of Naphtali. But in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. And then verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Remember, this is Isaiah, a major prophet. This is 2,000 years before it ever happened. And he's writing about it. He's writing about what is to come. He's writing about the difference and the effect this light of the world is going to have. And guess what? It comes. And he does make an impact. He talks about those walking in darkness and the gloom that comes with darkness. But he also talks about coming, about a coming light, a servant from God, his son. So God knew how important true light. God also saw that darkness was controlling us. And as we see today, it still is, or it still can. We not, might not be aware we are walking in darkness. And my question to you as I finish this thought this morning is, what part of darkness is drawing you and I away from God's will for our lives? What have we settled into and said, this is how I'm going to believe, and I'm going to ignore what God... And, and what he's saying to us today is, the true meaning is that light has come to reveal how he wants us to live. Another area I see is our need for a sign. First we saw our need for a Savior. Now we see our need for a sign. And we start with Isaiah 7, 14. He says this, Therefore the Lord... Now remember, this is way long time ago. That's not even good English, but it worked. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child. And will give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. What a sign. Everything about that statement is amazing. A sign from the Lord himself. So God understood where we were living, knew that we were walking in darkness, knew that we had gone astray like sheep. We were following our own ways. And he sends a sign. A virgin will be with child. All kinds of mores that speak out against that. But as he sends us that virgin who will be with child, it, it's outside of the, the, the no, no, cultural norms. And as it's outside that, we have to listen because we see this incredible thing that he's done. And then he has a son called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God knows a great marketing strategy. He knows how to catch our attention. He knows what it's going to take for us to understand that this hidden Christmas has a true meaning. The second thing is we realize that it first was a gift. Now we know that, that it was born from God, Matthew 121. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. God's plan that is hidden at times is to be with us, to save us from our sins. A gift born from God. The entire Christmas story is amazing. Hope brings us to that start of God's plan. We just finished a series called Unshakable Hope. And as we look through scriptures and we understand and we begin to understand a little more of what God set up for us, we have this unshakable hope. And that Christmas meaning brings that hope to where we can live. The next area that I come to is our need for salvation. And as I stand before you this morning, I realize that, that this is such a personal thing between you and our holy God, our Father. Because each of us knows what, it, what we need in our lives to be saved. Each of us knows areas that we struggle with, that we have doubts with, that we are being tested and challenged in. Things that are going on in our lives and in our families' lives and in the lives of where we work and the areas that we are. We, we realize this morning when, when we talk about our need for a salvation, we have to identify the true source, and that comes to us in Acts 4.12. Paul says this, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Paul makes it perfectly clear. 
Salvation is found in no one else. No other name in heaven can, was given to men by which we must be saved. John 14, 6, I am the light, the truth, and the truth, the light, and the way. No one comes to the Father. I'm the truth, the life, and the way. No one comes to the Father except by me. Only it goes way, truth, and life. I'll get it there. Thanks, Aaron. Aaron was working with me a little bit there. Okay. Let me try that again. John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other source. If you are struggling today in your life and you are being challenged by people that, that you work by, that you live by, that you are loving for the Lord, and they begin to challenge you about this fact that there's a lot of ways to heaven or doesn't really matter, you, you want to share with them this good news that salvation comes from one source and one source alone. Isaiah told us we have, we've seen a great light. There's lots of experiments on light. In fact, I read this lengthy article about a group of scientists that got together and decided they were going to help us discover the importance of light. Now, there are lots of studies out there that crack me up. I don't know if you heard years ago, the government spent, man, I think it was $90 million to, to, to study cow poop. I know I'm not supposed to say that on, on, in front of you, but I said it. $90 million. This group of, uh, man, just give me $2 million of that and I'll build our building. I could care less about the rest of it. But as I, as I looked at this article, these guys got together and they decided to tell us the spiritual significance outside of God, who is the true light, who sent the true light, what light would do for us. So they talked about all these ways that there were 10,000 different particles of light that brought in this vision that, that gave you and I the ability to be better people. And they never once mentioned God. Never once did they mention God. And so what I want you to catch with this morning is that as we begin this Christmas season and we see that we have this need for salvation, what he's telling us is that the true light that came from God, that comes from God, gives you and I the ability to see the truth. And that's what he's asking us to do. The other area I see here, I call it sanctified living, out of 1 Peter 3.15 on the screen behind me. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Also, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Sanctification this morning means to be holy, and to be holy, we need to set ourselves apart and align with God who is holy. Did you catch that? So the sanctification process comes when I, I say to him, it's a total commitment by me to be connected to a holy God. That means everything that I say, everything that I do, how I live, who I'm, I'm trusting God to, to bring into my life, where I'm working, how I'm serving him, all these things are part of a commitment to a holy God. So the lifestyle I live reflects sanctification. Are you connected to the holy God? It takes total commitment. I see four steps this morning that I think about. Step one, believe in Christ, accept him by asking for forgiveness and inviting him into your heart. That's step one. Step two, live for him. It's important for us to realize that, that there's this ability to, to believe in him and ask him into our hearts. And a lot of people stop there. I mentioned in the first service, Billy Graham made a statement when he was alive that 90% of all Christian prayers never get past the top of their head because they just asked him into their heart, but they don't really believe that he's going to help them live and change their lives and give them the ability to see him at work. They stop right there. Step three, make Christ Lord of our lives, the sanctification process, where we say, my commitment to you is you're going to be Lord of my life. And that's a big decision. In, in a little bit, I'm going to ask you to make that decision if you've never had that chance today to just say, Lord, 
You're number one in my life. And because I, I'm, I've asked you to forgive my sins and I'm living for you, would you take over my will and my desires? And would you allow me to live for you? And then step four, we need to share with others the way they can know him. So the whole process this morning is as we come into this true meaning of Christ and as we see the light of the world and it reveals to us all these areas, we look at those four steps. Have I asked him into my heart? Am I living for him? Is he the Lord of my life and I've committed myself completely to him? And am I sharing his love and message with other people? It makes the decision. Here's my application this morning. It's found in uh, 1 Peter 2.9. And I changed the font on each little area to give you an idea. It starts like this. But you, you and I, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God. We are chosen. We are royal. We're a priesthood. And we're holy because we belong to God. Those are great. That's a great foundation for you and I to step into the world to share with people. As I'm aware of what God's doing for me and as I'm aware of what he's in my life, he's asked me to be holy. So there are things as a holy person that I know I'm not going to do, that I'm not going to get involved, involved with. There are ways as a holy person, I'm not going to let my mind even go there. So if you're struggling today with your self-image and your self-esteem and the hope that you have and the future that you see or you don't see, let me remind you that because we are chosen people, we are royal priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God, we don't have to struggle with that. And the very next phrase in there says that you may declare the praises of him. Declare his praises. It's a daily part of our lives. It's something that, that we're always filled with hope. It's always a chance to, to have that, to share. You and I like to be around people that are full of hope. I mean, we, you could be having the worst day in the world, and you meet one of those people that God's put in your life, whether it's one of your, it's your wife or your husband or a neighbor or a family member, and they're just bubbling over with hope. And it just draws you to, their, to, to where they're going. He gives you and I that ability to declare his praises. As we declare his praises, it just becomes a natural thing. What is stopping us from having that feeling of declaring his praises every day of our lives? And then the last part, it says, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. We don't have to walk in darkness. We don't have to walk in darkness. There's nothing more. Thank you, Brian. There's nothing more that... that, that needs to stand out from this verse then, who called us out of darkness. If you're struggling today with darkness, and it's got a hold on you, and you've got sin habits that, that just seem to, to dictate what you say and what you do and the friends you make and the, the, the relationships you have and the things that you, you consider, he's called us out of that. And he's given us that, that, that opportunity. The hidden Christmas message from the world says, just celebrate it for its face value. And what he tells us is, our need for a Savior, our need for a sign, and our need for salvation. Give us the ability to celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? As you bow your heads, I'm going to ask two simple questions. And the first one has to do with maybe you've never asked anybody you'd like to ask Jesus to be your personal Savior. But would you this morning like to raise your hand and say, John, I'd like to accept Jesus into my heart. Ask him for forgiveness to become the Lord of my life. So just by saying, hey, I want Jesus in my heart, I want, I want to ask him in my heart. If you've never done that before, would you raise your hand this morning? I'd love to pray with you. I want Jesus in my heart. I want to start there. That's step number one. Taking me out of darkness. Yes. The second question I have for you this morning is there may be some who today who have asked Jesus into their heart but have never said to him, 
I just want to live for you. I want you to be first in my life. I want to, I want to be totally committed and surrendered to you. John, would you pray that I make that decision today, that, that as I do, you'll pray with me. Would you raise your hand? Yes. 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 Holy Spirit, you always have free reign to, to work in our midst. And this morning, as we've kind of rushed into the, the Christmas season, you've just set us aside and said, hey, I want to just speak to you. Lord, for those who raised their hand today and said, Jesus, would you come into my heart and life and forgive me? Thank you for doing that. Thank you for the ability to have forgiveness of sin and the promise of peace and the blessings of eternal life with you. For those this morning who raised their hand and just said, today I need to surrender myself to you completely. Take my will and my desires and allow them to be yours. Lord, for those who are still seeking you, Holy Spirit, continue to surround them with your love as you bring them hope. Thanks, Lord. It's in your name we pray. I'm going to challenge you to uh, think about a couple things. First, if you made a decision this morning, I want to encourage you to, to check out our iTable. There's some great material there that will kind of help you walk through it. If you want to pray with somebody today, if this is an area where you're struggling, you need to find somebody that you know well enough to pray with you before you leave or find one of us. We would love to just pray you through to victory. And finally, I just feel led the month of December to, to just pray a, a blessing over you as we leave. So let me just do that this morning. God, I just pray a blessing on this group today that you would give us victory and hope and joy and light. And I pray today that you would help us to have the veils removed from our eyes, that we would see your glory and your love and your purpose and your meaning. And God, I finally pray for just the darkness to be removed. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.